children, uh, hopefully in a few months. And so um, we were very thankful to be there. And Emily is supposed to be giving a testimony right now. And she's right there. Perfect. Come on, Emily, and uh, share what God did in your heart through um, our visit to Honduras. And then, what's that? Joseph is not able to be here this week. Joseph will probably be able to give a testimony next week, and so that will work it out that way. But uh, Emily, if you could just tell us for a few moments. Um, it was a, a really great privilege and opportunity to be able to go to Honduras. Um, I know that you saw you know, some of the videos and, and things there, but getting to know those people was um, really the highlight of that trip getting to know the churches there. So Pastor Edwin that you saw in that group picture, um, his family and us, he is the national pastor there right now. He is pastoring two churches, one in La Hamani and one in La Paz. Um, he's doing both. And then um, they're starting a new church, starting to build a third church up in the mountain. And um, it's about an hour drive up the mountain to get up to that church, which he it's going to be too much for him to travel and do all three. So they're looking in the time of it getting built for another pastor, another national pastor to take that church. But getting to know them, they were so sweet, so hospitable. Um, they just had a real love for the Lord. Being in the churches and the services was really great. Getting to know them and the kids and, and the teens. Um, like my husband said, the, the orphanage there, um, they have a couple kids right now that are older. Um, and that little baby you saw, that's Colette. He was adorable. He's about almost two, and he is actually the son of one of the residents there in the home, and so he lives with them in the property too, and he was a joy as well. So just be able to pour into them and meet them and talk to them. Um, and a story I want to share quickly, you saw pictures of Rixie in the video, and Joseph will speak more about this, I'm sure, because it really touched him um, personally. But when we went out one day, actually on our off day, you could say, sightseeing, um, we were out at a restaurant, we ate some food, uh, we were just talking by the lake, a nice, nice view. And, you know, when you're there, I mean, it's, you see everybody is very, very poor. I mean, there are areas, of course, but mostly they're not, they're not very well off. And people do a lot of different things to earn money. And there were singers going around at the tables singing to make money. There were people peddling things like magnets and different stuff. And we saw a lot of them. But as we were talking this little seven-year-old girl came up to our table and she was trying to sell magnets and she was holding um, some other things, some wooden hand-painted things that her, she said her family had made and they were trying to sell them. And we had already bought something from the last guy. So we told her, oh, no, I'm sorry. You know, we already got something. And she just stood there. She just stood there staring at us while we were talking. And after a couple minutes, she didn't go away. And you know, we don't speak Spanish that much. Joseph does, and of course, Chris, the missionary, he does, so they started talking to her. She asked us if we had any extra food for her, and she was hungry. And so we did. We were pretty much done at that point, but some of us had extra food on our plate, extra um, plantain fries and different things, and um, so we asked her to sit down and start eating with us. And she didn't really talk it at much at first, but we started asking her questions, and she opened up, and you know, just apparently as what the missionary told us is a pretty common story that her mother had just left her to go to come to the States to try to find a job to get more money. She was with her grandma and this is what she did. She went out every day just trying to sell stuff. She was completely alone. 
There was no adult with her. Her, her mom, her grandma was, you know, up at her house somewhere up the hill. And a lot of things can happen to kids there. And it was just very sad for us to see that. And, and we kind of took her for a couple hours maybe. We, we had her stay with us. We got her a drink. We made sure she ate food. There was a little playground area outside. We were able to go play with her a little bit. And she, she just loved it. I mean, she was so, she was so overjoyed. And she, she didn't want us to leave. Um, we did get her contact information, which is good. And the missionary's been able to keep in touch with her. But she was so sweet. But she was like, why are you so nice to me? Why are you so kind to me? She called us her precious friends. And we told her, you know, because God loves her. And because we were there to show God's love. And God cared about her. And we were able to talk to her a little bit for that. And you, if you were there, like, you could feel that that meeting was... Not just, oh, there's another kid over there. They're everywhere. It was a special on-purpose meeting. Then we were able to touch her and reach her family now. They're in touch with her family. And um, and hopefully the gospel can really touch their lives. And when we were leaving, um, we, were, we said bye, gave hugs. We were walking away after we took some of those pictures. And she called me to come back to her. And, of course, I don't understand that much, so um, Chris came with me. But we went up to on the bridge back to her, and she held out her um, this wooden carving with little painted parrots on it, and she said she wanted me to have it, and she gave it to me. And, if, of course, that was something she was trying to sell to make money. And, of course, at first I felt really bad about taking it. I'm like, oh, this, you need money. But um, she really wanted me to have it, She and so you know I took it. It was such a sweet gesture and I have that and you know seeing lives like that the thing is there's lives like that multiplied over and over and over there you see a lot of kids we did a bible club in the in one of the towns you see a lot of kids like that Um, and so to see the work there and what they were doing the way that they can reach those families and seeing kids come in we got to see several baptized even some kids baptized when we were there that had been recently saved it was really amazing. I mean, the culture is great. It was a beautiful place. It was a great experience. But seeing those lives and seeing the need there, there is a need to support that work and to support Go Honduras and, and the children that they're touching, not just in the orphanage home, but through the churches. And of course, if that girl had needed to get out of a bad situation, they would have worked on taking her into the orphanage if that was something she needed. Um, so it was just a blessing to be able to see the work there and um, just see the need and and try to share with you and and everybody else just um, to get behind and support the work there because it really is making a difference and there's a lot of people there that that really need help not just financially but spiritually. Eight hundred thousand orphans in Honduras. It's a pretty tough situation. A lot of people with classic abandonment issues, and it just seems like they're in a cycle of abandonment. Children that have been abandoned eventually abandon their children, and it's been like that for a long time. So the need for the orphanage is uh, very great um, in that culture and in that country, but more than that, the need for Jesus is needed. Well, we don't have much time, and good thing I'm a short preacher. (laughs) 
I want to bring to you a message entitled Identity Crisis this morning. It's not along the same text that Pastor Russell has been using. And it's just something that I wanted to communicate. I felt the Holy Spirit was really working my heart to bring a message to our church. And I don't get to um, see a lot of you often right now because my role is in the children's ministry and I pretty much see those who check in their children and check out their children and uh, it's a blessing to be up there and I hope your children are learning a lot and continuing to grow in their faith and grow in their ability to demonstrate their faith. But today I'd like to just briefly now, here's the thing. When you have a guest preacher and he goes to like, you know, 1205, it really puts Kingdom Kids at a disadvantage. And if you're a worker in Kingdom Kids, you know what we're talking about because you're in the middle of transferring between craft and lesson, and then somebody doesn't get a lesson or somebody doesn't get a craft. So we're going until about 1220 today so we can give them time to do their craft. And some of those kids saying really good, they need to be able to do their craft this morning. Got it? Okay, good. Just make sure we're on the same page, all right? <laughs> Listen, it won't be that much. I purposely uh, uh, prepared a message that would be a little shorter in its length. But I want to talk to you about the identity crisis I see within churches in America. And I think it's an epidemic in churches. I think that it's a problem because we're being told from the pulpit in many different churches to be the best version of, of ourselves as we can be. And we're kind of being fed this line like it's supposed to actually help us please God. If you're the best version of you, then you can actually please God. And I have to say that that's not what the Bible says about the, the, the conforming process and who we're supposed to be in uh, the image of. Not, our, not a best version of ourselves. Because of this teaching and because of what I'll consider false teaching, we have this idea that I can come as I am, I can stay as I am, I can even improve myself as I am. And it's a wonder why so many churches are losing the power of God. Because the people of God are trying to conform into a better version of themselves instead of what God wants them to conform into, and that's the image of his son. I want you to take your Bibles to John chapter 1. John chapter 1, we're going to read about a name change. Peter, Simon, has his name changed to Peter. John chapter 1, beginning in verse number 37. John chapter 1, beginning in verse number 37. Uh, well, we have this first before we get to John chapter 1. I love what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.17. Because if you're a born-again child of God, this verse is for you. If you want to stay as you are, the way you were before you were saved, God says he has different plans. If any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And what we have here is this identity crisis. And we're going to see, the next slide here, we're going to see that Peter is going to have an encounter with Christ, and that encounter with Christ is going to change not just his name, but his purpose. And I want to use this text today to kind of give us an outline of what God is trying to do in each one of us. And we talked in our life group hour about the life of Jacob and how God changed his name. But if you have your Bibles, you're in John chapter 1, and we're going to begin reading in verse number 37. John chapter 1 and verse number 37 let me get there myself. The Bible says this. John chapter 1, verse 37. And the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. 38. Then Jesus turned and saw them following, and saith unto them, What seek ye? 
They said unto him, Rabbi, which is to say, being interpreted master, where dwellest thou? Verse 39. He saith unto them, Come and see. They came and saw where he dwelt and abode with him that day. And it was about the tenth hour. Verse 40. One of, the, one of the two which heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Verse 41. He first findeth his own brother Simon and saith unto him, We have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. And when Jesus beheld him, verse 42, he said, Thou art Simon, the son of Jonah. Thou shalt be called Cephas, which is by interpretation a stone. God literally changes his name in verse 30, 42. And what's the significance of this? Obviously, we're talking about identity, so when you want to know somebody's identity, what's the first question you ask them? What's your name? That's pretty much, no matter what culture you're in, what's your name? And that identity of our name kind of carries us. It's the first line on many documents we filled out, right? Name. School, we had to learn how to spell our name. My last name took me probably until about sixth grade to be able to get that down. Too many vowels. Now we have this thing called identity theft. It's pretty big. I heard about a man who had his wife's purse stolen. And when telling uh, the friend of the ordeal, the friend asked, you know, have you reported the theft to the credit card company? And the man said, no, the thief is spending way less than my wife did. (laughs) Why would I do that? Your identity is who you are. It's what your significance is. And when we talk about identity theft, I think the devil has done a tremendous job on bring, in bringing a massive wave of identity theft to Christians' lives because people are forgetting that their identity is found in Christ and they're trying to find their identity in themselves. That's dangerous as a Christian because all that does is become a form of uh, Christian humanism if there's such a thing where you're trying to do the work of God in your own strength and in your own personality. And that's not at all what the Bible tells us we should be doing. Go ahead and hit that next slide. Thank you. And so what we have here is an identity crisis. And in our text, Simon is, his name is changed to Peter. Now Simon uh, is, is experiencing a significant moment in his life. Jesus knew Simon, the brash fisherman who always stuck stuck his foot in his mouth. It's like when the disciples were asked by Jesus, what do you think? All the disciples were saying, please don't pick Peter. Please don't pick Peter. Because he always seemed to have the answer that didn't work. God knew that this would be this man, and God knew that when he met him and when he got to know him, there needed to be a major shift in his identity. And God changes his name to Peter. And so Peter needed a new name, needed a new identity, and God gave him one. And what is interesting is when you study this name change in the Gospels, every time that Peter is being in the old nature, Jesus refers to him as Simon. Look at it. You can do the study. Every time he's kind of not doing the right thing, it's Simon. Every time that, uh, that, that Peter is doing something that he is allowing the Holy Spirit to use him and being the preacher and leader, the, uh, Peter is his name in the text. 
Matter of fact, in the book of Acts, you'll see only Peter because at that point he was operating in the Holy Spirit and doing the work of the Lord, and he was fulfilling his purpose. In other words, Simon is a new creature. And by the way, Christian, we are a new creature in Christ as well, as we saw in 2 Corinthians 5.17. Now quickly, as we look at this, what does this mean? What does this new identity look like? First of all, it looks like we must re, uh, reflect God's person. We must reflect God's person. In other words, who are we conforming into the image of? Colossians chapter 3, verse 9. Go ahead and advance to that slide. Colossians chapter 3, verse 9. The Bible says this. Lie not one to another, seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds. Verse 10. And put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. And here I think the text in Colossians is bringing into this idea that a lot of times we put up this facade of who we want to be. And God really knows who we are. And God already knows the identity he's given us, the new identity he's given us, and the identity he has, he's wanting us to live within. What does it look like to reflect God's person? Well, letter A, God's main plan for our lives is that we be what? Just like Jesus. Just like Jesus. So how are you doing with imitating Jesus? Let me ask you, if the term Christian had not been coined until now, would people be able to look at your life and say, ah, like Christ? Because that's how Christian got its name, how Christians got their name, wasn't it? Now, God's main plan for our lives was that we be just like Jesus Christ. Here we go. Man was created in God's image. We know that from the very beginning. In the Garden of Eden, the, the animals were not created in God's image. The trees were not created in God's image. Only man was created in God's image. But when man sinned, it marred his image of God. And sin is destructive, and sin does that. And so the image of mankind was marred at that moment. It was, well, first of all, it was changed because internally Adam and Eve died spiritually within, right? And we know, based on the whole counsel of the Word of God, that salvation is that act in which we can accept Jesus Christ as our Savior and have the image of God once again restored in our life because of that justification process. And then when we are justified, this, this act of God declaring us to be righteous because of our trust in Him. But when we become justified, there's that second phase. And a lot of people get doctrinally, uh, have doctrinal error because they mix up these two phases, right? They put sanctification where justification is, and they put justification where sanctification should be. But you've got to be justified in order to be in the process of being sanctified. That's the biblical progression. Now, sanctification is the process whereby the Holy Spirit of God uses the Word of God to help the child of God become like the Son of God. And that's the definition for sanctification in a nutshell. 
That's the process whereby all of us are supposed to be going through. And this is the purpose of Romans 8 verse 9, that we are predestinated, the Bible says. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. Romans 8 29. And so what we have here is we have this plan of God to change our identity to reflect God, not to reflect ourself. Not to reflect ourself. And by the way, the name Christian is, go ahead and go to the next slide, the name Christian is a direct result of an evidence of this change of identity. Acts 11, verse 26. Acts 11, verse 26. And when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch, and he came, and it came to pass the whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. Here it is, verse, verse 26 of Acts, of Acts chapter 11. And the, the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. In other words, people from the outside saw what they were doing, saw how they were reflecting the image of God, saw that they were reflecting God's person, and they literally said, you are little Christ. You're just like Jesus. And so I go back to that question. If that was not coined back then, would your life cause people to look and say, you're a Christian, aren't you? You're a Christian. Hmm. Let me just say that the world doesn't need John Lafreniere. It needs Jesus. Now, if I say Tonto, you would say what? Lone Ranger, good. If I say Abbott, you'd say, yeah. Now, if I was to say John the Baptist, who would you say? Jesus. Somebody said it. Yeah. That's how powerful John the Baptist was. Before Acts chapter 11, there was a man named John the Baptist who was given to this earth just to prepare the way. His whole job, his whole identity was to set up the stage for Jesus. And he did a great job, didn't he? The second thing we need to do if we want to get over this identity crisis is we need to, secondly, we need to ratify God's purpose. Now, when I use the word ratify, what I mean is we need to confirm, and we need to confirm what God's purpose is in our life. And this goes into the life, the, 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 the name change and the purpose change that Peter goes through in John chapter 1, verse 42. We look at Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, and the Bible says in that passage, this, this sister passage to John 1, 42, which we read in our text where Peter's name is changed. Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, God, uh, Jesus reaffirms, ratifies, confirms this name change in Peter's life. When in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, he says, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And this was in that establishment of the church where Peter is not the rock. He is to help the rock, Jesus, establish the church. And boy, religions get this verse mixed up a lot. But what Jesus was ratifying in Peter's life was, Peter, I didn't just change your name so you could have a cooler name, so that you could have a different identity that you could enjoy. I changed your name so you could have a different purpose. Your purpose is to be a foundation of the church. Your purpose is to be used by God 
at Pentecost to bring a couple thousand souls to be saved. A couple days later, preach in the temple with John and see 5,000 more saved. God already had that in his plan for Peter. And boy, that just shows that God sees potential where human beings cannot. And aren't you glad for that? And this is part of God's process in us because here it is. When we're just trying to be a, a better version of us, all we can do is plan what we know. All we can do is plan what we are familiar with. And there's the limitation that a lot of Christians bump up against. Because what we know and what we desire for our lives is far less, most times, than what God wants us to be in our life. And definitely when it comes to conforming into the image of his son, we are nowhere close to being able to do that without God's help. I want you to think about times that God changed people's names, and when he changed their name, he changed their purpose. For example, he changed Abram to Abraham. And when he changed his name, his purpose changed. No longer was he just Abraham. Now he was the seed of the Messiah. Great purpose change. Jacob, he changed to Israel. The purpose was to be the father of God's people. Saul, in the New Testament, he changed to Paul. Purpose, to be apostle to the Gentiles. I mean, you see this theme throughout the the word of God, where when God changes a name, he changes the purpose. I go back to 2 Corinthians 5, 17, that you are a new creature in Christ. Old things are passed away. All things are become new. Letter B under this, the New Testament Christian has a purpose to bring glory to God. And here it is, by sharing Christ. Letter B, I think it's somewhere in there. You can find it. Next one. Here we go. The Bible says in John 15, 8, Herein is my Father glorified. This is what Jesus is saying. Herein is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit. So shall ye be my disciples Now, this is not a verse that is talking about uh, um, works-based salvation. This is talking about literally bearing fruit so that you can be a disciple. Now, a disciple is not just a believer in Christ, but he is a follower of Christ, okay? There's a difference. But if you want to go to the next level, Jesus says, you've got to actually bear some fruit. Let me bring it into this um, idea. What is the purpose that you live in Connecticut? Because we like to pay high taxes. No. That's not your purpose. What's the purpose for working where you work? What's the purpose for being in the family group that you are in? These are great questions that if you're answering finances and love, you might be missing your purpose because our purpose is to add people to God's kingdom. We are emissaries. We are ambassadors. Look what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 20. I think there's a slide for this. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 20. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us, and we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. 2 Corinthians 5.20. We have a job. We are not from this kingdom. We didn't just become a new creature. We have a, a new affiliation with heaven. We are children of God, children of the kingdom, and we are ambassadors to this earth. Everything we're doing, everything that God's put us in is for the purpose of bringing people to him and to displaying Christ to the people we have around us. And there's where we miss a lot of it. 
And here's where the devil kind of hoodwinks us because we, we realize that if we conform into God's image, we start to, I guess you can say, leave the confirmation or the conforming that we had to our family, some of our family members and our coworkers and our neighbors. And as we become more like Christ, we become less like the life we knew before. And that's difficult for some. And there's where the surrender comes in. And here's why sanctification is an arduous process. It's like a wrestling match where you've got to wrestle the spirit and the flesh, wrestle within you. And it's, it's that, that sanctification process that is, is going within every believer in this room. And if you feel like you're in the struggle of your life to try to be conformed into God's image, that's normal. Because it's not easy. But then again, God's not asking you to do it by yourself, is he? He's giving you the power to do it. And there's this, the third point here. If we're going to be getting over this identity crisis, we must reveal God's power because that's what it is. I want you to take your Bibles to Genesis chapter 32. And if you were in life group this morning, we really took time in life group to go through the life of Jacob, the deceiver, the supplanter, and see how God changed his name, God changed his purpose, and in God changing his purpose, God gave him power like a prince in that change. Genesis chapter 32, we're just going to read a few verses because of time. Genesis chapter 32, beginning in verse number 27. Genesis 32, verse 27. Go ahead and advance that slide. Well, we'll read the verse, and then that's the first part, so we'll keep it right there. Genesis chapter 32, beginning in verse 27, the Bible says this. And he said unto him, that is God, the Christophany, said unto him, that's Jacob, what is thy name? And he said, Jacob, verse 28. And he said, thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel, for as a prince hast thou power with God and with men, and hast prevailed. Now before we get into the rest of the point here, I want you to realize where we're going here with Jacob. Jacob for years had been a schemer. Jacob, in his possession of the birthright, had manipulated that birthright from Esau. Remember when Esau was coming in from the field and was hungry and wanted some, some soup? And you remember Jacob said, I've got an opportunity here. Manipulate this one. And he said, uh, I'll give you some soup if you give me your birthright. And, and Esau's like, I'm dying over here. Yeah, I'll give you my birthright. Who cares about that? I need to eat. And Jacob gets the birthright. And then you know the rest of the story, how Jacob eventually, you know, manipulates his way into getting the blessing from Esau. And when he does that, Esau wants to kill him. Esau, the great hunter, is now going to target Jacob. And Jacob ran for years from Esau. For 20 years, he had to leave his home and go into another country and try to hope things cooled down with Esau. It took 20 years for him to kind of feel a little bit of safe to come back. And in that 20 years, God, God had innovative ways to teach him that people were better schemers and manipulators than he was. If you know the story of Jacob, you know what we're talking about. Jacob learned from Laban, you reap what you sow, in other words. And so 
at this point in his life, Jacob realizes his life is going nowhere. He is literally spinning his wheels. He's always getting what he wanted, but not wanting what he got. Have you ever been there? And Jacob's heading home to get things right, try to take control of the matter. And when he does that, he really is just in search of what I'll consider the blessing of God. That's what he wants. He's doing anything he has to to get to, to do the only thing, get the only thing he wanted, the blessing of God. He's wrestling with God at one point for God's blessing. And so in that wrestling match, and they've got each other in the hold, and of course, you know that, that, that uh, Christophany touches the, the thigh of, of Jacob and he limps from that day on. And they're in this wrestling match and it seems to be at an impasse. And God asks Jacob what he wants and Jacob says, I want a blessing. Well, Jacob, don't you already have the blessing? Didn't you swindle it from your, 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 your brother? Didn't you deceive and manipulate your way in? Didn't you put up the facade so you can get the blessing? But he knew he didn't really have it, did he? But I love how God answers him. Jacob says, I want a blessing. And what does God say? What's your name? What's your identity? Now this is an interesting question because his father Isaac asked him twice what his name was. And both times when Isaac asked him, you know what Jacob responded? Esau. My name's Esau. My name's Esau. God asks him what his name is. And finally, Jacob gets real. Jacob lowers the facade. Jacob stops trying to be this best version of himself and gets honest with God and says, I know who I am. My name is Jacob. I am the manipulator. I am the schemer. I am the one who has always tried to get the blessing, tried to do it my own way, and never got it. And God says, I see that. So let me give you a new identity. And the identity that he gives Jacob is power as a prince. We are a royal priesthood believer. We are chosen. I love the fact that our position in Christ carries with it the power of God. And when you're trying to live in another identity and you're trying to live in a new version or a better version of you, the one thing you're missing is God's power. And that's one of the things that many Christians are missing in churches today is God's power. And I don't think it's because they don't have the Holy Spirit. I think they have just as much of the Holy Spirit as they had from the moment of, of salvation. But they're in a, a, a problem where they have an identity crisis and they have the Holy Spirit of God who is able to show his power. But they're denying the power of God because they won't get honest with God and surrender and go through the hard process of sanctification, the wrestling match that we all go through to try to be what? Not be a better version of ourselves, to be, but to be conformed into the image of His Son. You say, how hard is it to, get, be, to be conformed in God's image? Well, looking at our starting place, it's pretty hard. but it's possible. One day we'll be glorified. We'll, we will be like him for we'll see him as we, he is. 
will finally be there in heaven. We'll be like him. But until then, God shows us our need for him by helping us see that we must be honest with him and surrender ourselves to him. Not put up this facade, this false identity, but to get real so that God can say, I gave you a new name. I gave you a new purpose. I'm ratifying that purpose in you. That purpose is to reflect me. That purpose is to be conformed into God's image. And if you're wondering why that's so difficult, God says, because you can't do it in your strength. So let me tell you, when I changed your name, I changed your source of power. Now you have an internal power called the Holy Spirit. You've got to use it in order to be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. And that's why sanctification is absolutely impossible without justification. Because you can't be conformed into Christ's image if you're trying to work your own way and do it yourself. You need the Holy Spirit inside you, which comes the moment you are saved. That's what the connection is. Do you have an identity crisis in your life today? Is God trying to ask you what your name is and you keep on trying to tell him the name that you want to be, not the name you are? Well, take it from the life of Jacob. It's worth it just to be honest. It's worth it just to surrender. It's worth it to let God do his work to conform you into the image of his son. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you don't just try to make us a better version of us. Thank you that you have such a higher goal in our lives. Lord, I pray that you'd help those who are here today to realize that your plan for them, your purpose for them is all within the new identity that you've given them when they accepted you as Savior. And if there's people here that have never accepted you and are